Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 8 and I'm joined as always by my good friends Vili. Good afternoon. And Jody. Bonjour. <laughs> Continuing the French motif, Joe. Oh, oui, oui. <laughs> um, okay, so... Wow, guys, we've got a lot to cover in this episode. First of all, the story content we're covering, obviously, is chapters 42 through 47. But before we get stuck into that stuff, we've got a bit of housekeeping to do. Um, first things first, I want to mention that we have set up a number of social media accounts. We are now live and kicking on Twitter at Blood and Ash Pod, which is not ideal, but it's better than Blood and Ashes 2. Um, the person sitting on at blood and ashes has not posted for more than 10 years in Twitter. Uh, I DM'd him and asked him if I can have that handle now. No, no response. Um, but on Facebook, we are blood and ashes podcast. And then obviously people can always reach us at the, uh, website contact, uh, from blood and ashes podcast.com. Um, and also email me directly at moritz at bloodandashespodcast.com. So there are multiple avenues through which to get in touch with us. So have at it. Um, let's see. Callbacks to last week's episode. And in fact, this time it'll be more than last week's episode. Um, but there are a couple quick ones. The first one is uh, Vili mentioned that Rand blixomed off the wall. Um, and I realized that not <laughs> many or any non-South Africans would understand what the word blixer means, but it is basically just, he fell hard. Suffice to say, he got beat up in the process. I think he um, fucked off the wall, should be the correct <laughs> yes. terminology. He, oh, yes, yes. That is the... That's a direct translation. <laughs> that's the doctor's terminology. Um we also mentioned in the last episode that Galad was kind of jealous of Elaine and um, and Gowan. But I went back and when I was editing the, the show and I, I heard that mentioned, I, I, I seem to recall someone specifically saying that Galad is not jealous of them. And um, Gowan actually says at one point, there's a quote where he goes, um, when Elaine, you know, shits on Galad after he's left or something. He goes, there you go too far, Elaine. Galad does not know the meaning of envy. Twice he has saved my life with none to know if he, had, if he held his hand. If he had not, he would be your first prince of the sword in my place. You know, so Galad is as straight and narrow as you get. Um, and the last one was, we were speculating about Elaine and Egwene's Argers that they chose. Um, Elaine did choose green. Um, but apparently Egwene was raised to the Amelin seat directly from Accepted. She never had an opportunity to choose an Arja, so she never had mm. one, mm. which is crazy. Like I thought I thought I would have remembered something that, like There's that. There's no but, bias um, in that. Thing. <laughs> no. Yeah, none, none. No, I, I've come to terms that I don't remember almost. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember some of the characters' names, some of the main characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was one big one. Um, sent into us by a our number one fan at the moment, Adrian. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who um, got in touch with me to say that when we spoke about Slayer originally, I sort of made an offhanded comment that I think Slayer is was originally Lan's cousin or something. And then when we read about the um, the family tree in uh, in in Camelin, 
uh, it became obvious that no, it was Luke Mantier was Rand's uncle. He's the guy that becomes Slayer. But as Adrian pointed out, um, Slayer is actually two entities combined. <gasps> he right. is also Isom Mandragoran, who is Land's cousin. Ah. And that that is actually they mention Isom in some of the chapters that we'll be covering today. But Isom right. basically Isom's mother. Um, tried to outrun some Trollocs. They were run down by Trollocs in the Borderlands and no one knows what became of them. Um, but he ended up growing up in the town, which is this town in the Blight full of like Shadow Aiel and Dark Friends and, you know, all kinds of monstrosities. Um, and when Luke went to the Blight to seek glory, he also went missing. And at some point, the two of them became one being, and they actually appear in different forms in uh, the waking world and in the world of dreams, mostly Luke in the in the waking world and Isom in the world of dreams. But um, that's, not, that's not set. That can also change. So that fraction of a memory that I had about it being Lan's cousin was spot on. It is literally, <laughs> You're it's literally his cousin. I feel good about that one. Good man. Okay, so um, with all of that nonsense out of the way, um, let's get stuck into what we all came here for. We left off last time with the big reunion at the Queen's Blessing, um, and then everyone going up to the room and seeing Matt and what state he was in, land doing a bit of teleportation magic, and Moraine basically uh, getting ready to heal Matt uh, with the use of her Ungreal. Um, and that's where we left off. So right now, we'll jump straight into Chapter 42, Remembrance of Dreams. And it's over to you, Joe. Thank you very much, Moritz. Yes, previously on Blood and Ashes podcast. <laughs> we left Moraine healing Matt upstairs with the Angriel. And uh, yeah, everyone's freaked out, obviously, because he was hiss- uh, Moraine was hissing at him. And he was trying to stab her and wouldn't give up, trying to poke a dagger in her eye. Re- everyone remembers that. Good. So after yep. they leave the room, Moraine kicks them out, obviously. This is, you know, like a doctor. Everyone needs to get out. And they leave the room and they all head to the library because nobody wants to go sit anywhere in public. They remember that Elida is looking for them. Um, the White Cloaks are looking for them. Dark Friends are looking for them. Uh, generally just being looked for <laughs> by unsavory characters. The Dark One himself. The Dark One himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, him. Forgot about him. Uh, so they all head to the library, of course. Uh, Rand leads them down there. And of course, everyone freaks out again when they see Loyal. Rand, as he walks in, he, he only notices like while he, five steps, he's into the room that no one's behind him and he can't figure out why. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. giant uh, Ogier dude sitting over there. So Loyal uh, is stretched out on his chaise lounge. Uh, he's reading a, a book. <laughs> Not going to play that down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to French the fuck out of this. Uh, he's, he's reading with a cat sleeping on him. He's just, you know, he's just loving it. Real, real nerd. Kind of like us, just lying on couches reading books all day. Um, but, of course, he's a polite young Ogier at 90 years old. So he gets up when everyone comes in and he gives them a formal bow. And there's introductions all around. Okay, this, these are my friends I've been waiting for. Here they are. Everyone's happy. Uh, Perrin is the first to speak, and he asks specifically about the steading and if it's really a safe place and everything. And Rand's, uh, Rand has noticed previously his eyes. Uh, there's also this look of resignation. Uh, Perrin doesn't seem to be afraid or worried like everyone else. He just looks resigned to his fate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like now that Matt is being healed, that Perrin has now taken the place 
of the the wounded friend that Rand needs to worry about now, <laughs> like <laughs> instantaneously. I mean, he was. They've just walked up. They've just left the room from upstairs um, five minutes ago, and now he's got someone else to worry about. So yeah, he's got now issues with parent. It's just issues. The with damaged goods, damaged goods all over. Um, so after some lengthy stories from Loyal, he starts explaining, you know, his journeys and everything. And they mentioned as well, like Loyal, you know, he, he thinks every story needs to start with at least 300 years of history. Otherwise it's a shit story. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, it's, it's ages. They, they, they're listening to all, uh, these lengthy stories from him and eventually the, the door opens and there's Matt and he is bright eyed and bushy tailed and he's wearing his coat and he's smiling and everybody's shocked to see him. Like he's acting all normal. He's back to his old self with this, you know, his cheeky grin and he's probably got a badger in his pocket somewhere. Um, <laughs> so he apologizes to everyone and says like, really guys, like, I'm sorry. You know, you can't blame me. I was, I was acting crazy and I'm sorry. And everyone forgives him, of course. And there's tears and there's laughter and there's back slapping and the ripping and yes, yes, yes. All of that stuff. You know, everyone's back to normal. Everyone's just glad that everyone's alive and we have a little, whew, all right. Before mm. <laughs> before shit hits the fan again, five minutes. Later. <laughs> so yeah, Moraine starts. Yeah, uh, you know, when when he sits down, when Matt comes in the room, he sits down. He uh, automatically touches his his coat to see if something's there. And Rand is like, <gasps> takes a breath in, and so Moraine explains to him, like, listen, uh, yes, he's still got the the dagger. It's it's been too long. We can't. I can't separate him, even with an Angriel. We need to still take him to the tower. What I've done is is cleanse the taint from him, but it will be back eventually. And uh, we need all of the Aes Sedai to help this guy uh, get clean. You know, he's got a monkey on his back. <laughs> <laughs> Intervention time. Yeah, he's got to go cold turkey. He's got to go cold turkey. So uh, so they need to get him to Tarvalon or Tarvalon, however you pronounce that. Vili, how do you pronounce that? Valon. There you go. That's, that's <laughs> canon now. So yeah, and then everybody's like, "Well, we need to get him to to Tarvel, and this this is where and it's a good thing. This is where we're going." And Moraine kind of gives him a sidelong glance, and I've got like, oh, "This is where they are going." Uh, ellipses dot dot dot. Yes, whatever. Mm -hmm. So Moraine mm -hmm. and Loyal are introduced. Um, Loyal is is also very stoked to meet Anaisa Die. Um, and when she asks him, like, listen, you know, would you please excuse us? We have some plans to make. He looks at all confused, and Rand's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, he's coming with us." And, uh, you know, she says, basically, what in today's, uh, what in today's language would be, you know, cool, whatever, uh, is basically the wheel wills, <laughs> the wheel weaves is the wheel wills, you know, like, whatever. Yep. All right, he's on board. He's, he's part of the pattern now. Rand has said so, so there you go. So Moraine mentions that the White Cloaks are looking for Perrin and Egwene, and Rand is surprised. We mentioned this in a previous episode. Mm. We were talking about this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, and it comes up in this chapter as well, that, yeah, and Loyal kind of looks at Rand and says, like, come on, Rand, you can think clearer than this. You know, why would they be after you? And he's like, dude, like, everyone's after us. It's just my natural reaction that they're looking for us. No, it's, it's Perrin. He murdered some people and uh, they were probably looking for him. So uh, Loyal also then mentions that, uh, you know, Elida said something. And then Moraine's like, what, Elida? What, what, what's this about Elida? And um, then that whole story comes out that about Rand, uh, you know, blixeming off the wall now that everyone knows what blixem means. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I just wanted to go look at the false dragon. And then I met the prince and the princess and, and the queen and Elida and Gareth. And, you know, all the whole story comes out. And it, <laughs> um, <laughs> Moraine's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just, you know, nice laying low, Rand. Laying low, guys. Come on. 
yeah, there's a lot of a lot of shit comes to comes to the foreground in this in this chapter. So anyway, that comes out. Mm-hmm. Rand's defense is that he just climbed a wall. He didn't do anything wrong. And and Matt <laughs> says like, well, that's what I always say, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate, Rand. Um, and then the, the story comes out about the prince and the princess and Elaine. And like he remembers um, Morgays and how beautiful she was, just like her daughter Elaine. And Green's like, who's Elaine? What, uh, what? 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 Who's this chick now? So during this exchange, Loyal mentions that a man also came to Steading Shangtai and, and said that the Dark One intends to blind the eye of the world. And then Perrin's like, hey, that sounds very familiar to the story we heard when we were uh, hanging with the Tinkers, with the, uh, the hippies with style. And mm-hmm. the same story, like they, about the Aiel that were chasing the Trollocs, or the Trollocs were chasing the Aiel into the, into the, into the waste. And her dying breath was that the sight blinder means to blind the eye of the world. And then the boys eventually tell Egwene, they give each other all this knowing look and they nod and they're like, okay, yeah, we should tell Moraine this. And Moraine's like, tell me what, what now? Jesus, boys, what? And they're like, yeah, look, we've all been having dreams, the same dreams with the (laughs) Alzamon in them. You know, (laughs) saying it out loud now, it does seem like, she did mention to them, please, if you have dreams, tell me about it. If someone in Shadow Logoth gives you a dagger, tell me about it. <laughs> you know? They, they are 18. <laughs> they are 18-year-old boys. A lot of this, this chapter is them talking about all the boys and girls they've met along the way. They're just a, a horny bunch of teenagers, you know, who have no idea Elsie. what they're Elsie <laughs> comes up. Yeah, everybody. Aram, Elaine, Min. Aram. Oh, just so much. So much jealousy and, and testosterone and estrogen flying around. But anyway, <laughs> I've lost my, I've lost track of what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, they're going to blind the eye of the world and Belzamon and everything. And uh, yeah, like also that uh, Belzamon told them all, like the eye of the world will not serve you. So now Moraine has three different sources of information telling them all the same thing: the eye of the world, the eye of the world, the eye of the world. Now mm-hmm. this seems like a trap. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I was thinking about this, going like, did they specifically spread that information? Did the Dark One or spread it to get them to go to the Eye of the World and meet them there, so that it could be kill hard them? to do? Um, because the man that came to the Steading came twenty years ago, yeah, and the um, the Aiel that told the story to the Tinkers was like two three years, years ago. Yeah, two, so, three years. I mean, the the Dark One has an eternity, so yeah. Maybe that doesn't matter, but um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Well, don't could know. it not be because the, the where the eye of the world is in the blight is the only place that's so corrupted that they could get out of the prison that they were in over there? Maybe they were trying to lure anyone that felt that they were in a position to do anything with the eye of the world. So maybe the dragon reborn to get them to come into this extremely hostile environment before they were ready and maybe take care of them before they, you know, grabbed Kalandor and proclaimed themselves Mm. the dragon reborn and that sort of stuff. So yes, maybe it's like one of many, you know, sort of traps they laid all over the place. Um, So yeah, maybe. Yeah, it also does show you the length, I mean, the time frame of this plan. 20 years ago, they started planning to blind the mm. eye of the world. If not longer. If not longer, yeah. 2,000 well, years that, ago. As, as far as we know. As far as mm. we know. Um, yeah, and then it's, it's at that point that Moraine says that she can protect them. 
if they stay close to her and she can protect their dreams and everything. And Perrin also pipes up at this point, like, I think I've already found my protection. And she looks at him knowingly and for a long time until he averts his eyes. And she's like, yeah, I suppose you're right. So she still doesn't quite trust this whole wolf brother scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you fear what you don't know, basically. And I said, I are no yeah. different. Um, so we get some more info. This is where they give them more, where she, where the boys start explaining to, to Moraine about the dreams that they've been having and what happened in the dreams and what Balsamon said and all that stuff. We've, we've talked about this before. I won't go into all, uh, too much of it. And that's also where um, Loyal pops up uh, with his, all three are Taverin. So like, it's not just Rand, it's these other guys as well. Like all this realization starting to happen. So with all this info, Moraine decides that they must head to the eye of the world and warn the green man that this is coming. Like either this is an early warning, we've got some luck or it's a trap, but either way, we've got to do something. We can't, we can't go to Tarvalon as, or Tarvalon as we previously (laughs) planned. So plans have changed guys. We, oh yes. Oh, and by the way, the eye of the world is in the blight and everybody's like, oh fuck the blight. What? Now we didn't take these bunch of kids into the blight. Of course, Lan is not there because he's uh, outside scouting around uh, and doing his thing. Um, but anyway, so, and as they were being hunted, they, uh, they're not going to be able to just waltz out of the city and take yeah. their horses and ride to Faldara. So Moraine brings up the ways and Loyal is not keen at all. And in fact, one of the last sentences in that chapter is if we enter the ways, we all die. And that's how it ends mm. the chapter. Yeah. All right. So that's where we are. New plan. Uh, no more Tav Allen. <laughs> I have the world in the blight. Uh, there's, there's just too much evidence pointing that way. We've got to change. And all the truth comes out. Uh, Egwin and Neneve are hugging each other and crying. You know, the shit is hit the fan. Nobody's happy. <laughs> now they have to go in the ways. Loyal is not happy. Moraine is not happy. Yeah. That the boys have been lying and keeping secrets. But yeah, no one's happy. And, and terrible things are about to happen. The end. <laughs> Moving on. That's most chapters in this book. Um. I I wondered, and I, I'm probably going to answer my own question there, but it's a note that I took. Um, when Loyal says something, Moraine says uh, the fact about, you know, there being upwards of 20 Aes Sedai um, in the city and uh, only she is, she's the only one that's not a red. Yes. And Loyal sort of understands and sort yeah. of like, you know, um, when I read that part at the time, I didn't understand why that could be. Um, but I think what you learn a little bit later is that the Reds, in fact, I think it's in the next chapter that I will be oh, right. <laughs> summing up. But the Reds um, blame the Ogier and the Steading for prolonging the breaking <gasps> by sheltering male channelers mm-hmm. during the breaking. Because when they go to the Steading, they're, you know, separated from the, from the, one one power and mm. the taint um but moraine you know she she placates loyal and she says look i'm of the blue and we think that you spared the world complete destruction because if all of them went crazy at the same time who mm. knows what could have happened so by sort of staying their damage a little bit longer you lessen the intensity of the damage that they did um so yeah like i said answering my own questions flattening the curve <laughs> yes man that's a 2020 joke if i ever Uh, yes all of you listening in the future 
Google that. Moraine has a Moraine has a visceral reaction to hearing Elida's name. Yeah, mm, like no, she did. She knows to avoid Elida. Like she, she already knows. Yeah, yeah. and it's sort of she doesn't say it outright, but I mean, as a reader, you realize after you know the previous interaction that Rand had with Elida, coupled with Moraine's reaction to hearing that she is in the mix, um, you know that she's one to be avoided. Mm. Indeed, as are most Aes Sedai. Yeah. Yeah, but also this is another thing that came up that I that I wanted to discuss here. Mm-hmm. I'll just mention is that you know the boys didn't tell Moraine about the dagger. They didn't tell her about their dreams, and that is because Aes Sedai are untrustworthy. Everyone that they've met that's not an Aes Sedai said, "Be careful of Aes Sedai. Be careful of yes. Aes Sedai." And mm-hmm. so they are careful, and they don't tell him it. But that's that's an Aes Sedai fault. That's her own fault, yes. and her sister's fault for being untrustworthy people that nobody uh, wants to share information with. So, Totally. We, we've said it before that Moraine's not exactly doing herself any favors when she's yeah. doing things like telling them that she would rather kill them than let the Dark One have them or, you know, uh, sinking the ferry after they crossed the River Taran. Mm. Um, there's, there's a couple instances where she also, instead of giving them an answer, gives them, you know, like one of those half-truth riddle answers, you know, like just not showing any kind of real empathy mm. for them. Um, it, she actually starts to a couple times now, yeah. um, but up until then, she has not exactly made herself available to them to listen to. She mentioned it that very first time they met in the town. Tell me if you've had any dreams or like, you know, have you had any dreams? Mm, not necessarily yeah. saying, when you start getting dreams, tell me. <laughs> um, when the dark one starts coming into your dreams every night, let me know. Yes, that's not yeah. normal. Tell yes. me about that. Yeah. What happens in this chapter as well, it's, it's made a specific mention that Rand asks her a direct question. He starts mentioning all the things that um, Elzamon told him not mm. to trust the Aes Sedai because the Aes Sedai are going to use you just like they used Raelin, Darkspain, Loghain, and then he names all these mm-hmm. false dragons. And mm-hmm. he asks, Rand asks Moraine directly, do you know these names? And she doesn't say yes or no. She says, the father of lies is a good name for the dark one. And exactly. then blah, 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 blah. She never answers the question. Yeah. Typical politicians. And I mean, that's a, that's a recurring theme throughout the book, right? All the books. It's like yeah. that sort of half-truth, you know, bending words to, you know, say something without really saying anything is a common trait. Um, yeah. Well, they, they're bound to the oath rod, so they have to tell the truth. So she can't, to answer that question directly, she would have to say yes. And that would exactly. open another I mean, can of worms. But it's almost like why, yeah, she would have to have a good reason to not just tell the outright truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also wonder if sometimes they don't answer in that way out of habits because it's been yeah. like almost their whole lives they are communicating in this way. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is frustrating to us. Uh, but we didn't grow up in the White Tower and swear on the oath rod, you know, like we don't wield the power of Aes so obviously it's not Speak for yourself. super relatable. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else, Vil? Anything from that one? No, that was a pretty good wrap-up there by Joe, I think. Uh... All right, let's roll on. Um, chapter 43, oh, that's me. Um <laughs> Decisions and apparitions. Okay, so we ended the last chapter obviously with mention of the ways and loyal giving that sort of like grim um, comment. Uh, so Rand asks, what are the ways? And uh, Moraine says, okay, well, loyal, you, it's your, it's your story to tell. 
um, because it's a thing of the Ogier. Um, Doyle explains about the steading being a sanctuary for male Aes Sedai during the time of madness. Um, and that's when he says, you know, some of the Aes Sedai blame the Ogier for prolonging the breaking. Um, but that's when Moraine corrects him and says, look, you know, that's what the Reds think, but us Blues thank you for it. So please do continue without feeling like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to berate you for it. Um, and he explains that as a gift of thanks, the male Aes Sedai uh, created the ways for the Ogier. Um, and when the last of the male channelers or the male Aes Sedai eventually left the, ste- the, the steading, they gave the Ogier elders a talisman with which to grow more way gates as they find more steading and as they build all these other cities, you know, they, they create the groves and they actually, the Ogier start growing way gates. Um, Loyal then explains that, you know, no Ogier have used the ways in his lifetime and longer. So it's been more than probably a hundred years that any Ogier has even been inside the ways um, because they, um, they started to darken and deteriorate. And as we know quite well by now, they are, have become rather terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, <laughs> you know, like even without Mush and Shin, like just the, the complete and utter darkness of them and, you know, the, 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 the railless ramps going from here to there. And, you know, it, it's just, it's not, it's not a fun place to be. And it's, um, it, it's the taint, I think Moraine describes, it's the taint on the power that was used to create them in the first place that is almost manifested in a semi-physical form in, in those ways. Um, and it's just because of the taint being there when the ways were created, they were tainted themselves. And where they were originally sunny and bright, um, they are now dark and dank and Damn. basically smell of death. Um so people started going missing in the ways. Um, Mush and Shin, you know, sort of started making an appearance. People came out like, you know, raving mad, screaming about this thing. And even Aes Sedai healers couldn't like sort of fix them after that. Um, so obviously nobody is super excited about going through the ways all the way to Foldara. My note here is everyone is in all caps, not ant. Um, <laughs> Indeed. So... Moraine just reminds everyone that they're at war with the shadow and getting to the eye of the world is of the highest priority. And the fact that there are three Taverin in their midst means that they need to all go, you know, like the pattern is busy adjusting itself around these three boys and it only makes sense that they go. Um, so Rand actually says, okay, well, it's his intention of going. Um, and everyone else sort of just agrees begrudgingly that they, that they will also go. So they spend the night in the library sort of planning um, Rand is just pacing around and Matt's sort of like, you know, gripping his hands together. Um, Perrin is looking resigned, like Jody was saying, like he's just sort of made peace with his fate. Um, and uh, he even says something like, um, he seems almost eager to get to the blight and he goes, there's good hunting along the blight, um, <laughs> which catches him by surprise. Um, and then at one point Rand sort of pulls a green to one side and he says, look, man, you know, um, you guys, you guys don't have to go to the blight. You know, you, you're not the ones that are sort of being hunted down here. Why don't you just go to Tarvalon and go become an Isidar or do whatever? And she quickly pivots from that to like, no, 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 we're going to the blight. Who's Elaine? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll not let it go. No. And then he answers with, well, she's, you know, she's the daughter heir of Andor. Egwene just suddenly gets mad and she's like, 
she storms off. He's like, if you can't be serious, then, you know, I'm not going to talk to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Left standing going, what? Um, and then so like throughout the evening, Basil Gill's also checking in with them. They're all doing their, their planning and stuff. And Moran eventually gives um, Basil a list of supplies that they need. Um, Basil also gives them little bits of news. And one of the bits of news was that um, someone tried to scroll a, da- a dragon's fan, fang on the Queen's Blessing and Lamguin dealt with him. Yeah, tried um, operative word. Yes. Um, then, um, oh, then everyone goes to bed. Okay, so after <laughs> lots and lots of planning, everyone goes to bed. But they, um, I think they they go f- like have a bath or something like that for the first time in ages. Uh, Matt even like takes off his clothes before going to bed, and it all seems like okay, cool. You know, everyone's got a plan. We're sort of in the safe safe inn for now. Uh, we know what we're going to do. Danger is is yet to come. Um, but then as soon as they fall asleep, Rand is like, oh, shit, here I am in this dream uh, yep. in front of the splintered wooden door. Uh, and he opens it up. Before he opens it up, he actually seeks out the flame in the void. And then he opens the door and he walks inside to that familiar room with all the weird geometry and the one that Belzmon has sort of appeared in to him before. Um, but this time on the table in the middle of the room, there are these three figurines, one with a sword, one with a tiny dagger with a ruby on the hilt, and one with a wolf next to it. But um, they don't have any faces, and I think they're described as sort of like if a um, someone that works with clay sort of like half-finished these figurines and they, they haven't really done them yet. And when Rand turns around from the table, um, Belzamon is there. I, I sort of get like annoyed with these dream chapters because okay cool we get it but Osman is you know ishmael is, is tormenting them in their dreams and sort of telling them that they will kneel and um rand just denies him you know like i deny you i deny you because moraine told them just keep denying him in your dreams mm-hmm. um thinking that it's going to work and Osman just sort of laughs and he goes haha you've always tried to deny me but you always end up kneeling obviously full of shit because if <laughs> yeah. the dragon knelt to him every time, why are they still in this battle? Right. Yep. So just cool your jets, Ishmael, just get over yourself. Um, and he does mention, but Elzaman, he does, he's doing a lot of bragging and stuff. And he talks about the fact that he set in motion the, the work of the black Arja 2000 years ago. Mm. So, the Black Arja has been in operation for 2,000 years. I mean, that's it's not a new thing. You know, it's not these like just these young girls in the tower that have been convinced to follow the Dark One. Like, it's been system, systematically growing and um, establishing itself for the well, longest of times. Technically speaking, um, the Forsaken are the first Black Arja. They were all Aes Sedai and they yes. all served the Dark True. One. So, True. the founding fathers, so to speak. Yes. Um, so, you know, while he's sort of coming at Rand with, um, with all this like bragging and bravado, Rand sort of like throws up his arms and he's backing away from him and he bumps into the table, um, and he, and something stabs his hand and he looks down and it's the, I think it's the little figurine with the sword or they don't even say necessarily, but his hand is bleeding. Um, and he sort of comes out of his dream, sort of like thrashing and freaking out about his hand and everything Um, and you can see matt also thrashing in his sleep Um, and when matt wakes up he says um he knows my face you know matt says that in his dream he walked up to the table and he picked up the figurine with the dagger Mm. and then he heard belzaman say oh so that's who you are and then he looked down at the figurine again and it had his face and he even says like it felt like flesh like the figurine felt like flesh he could feel his own hand on himself oh gross 
some voodoo shit going on there. So upsetting. Yes. <laughs> Creepy as hell. Um, and then Rand still feels the pain in his hand and he goes over to like the wash basin to light a lamp to see it. And there in his hand is like a big dark splinter where the sword stabbed him in the dream. Um, and he freaks out so because then he has a physical thing from the dream sort of in his hand and he desperately sort of like rips it out of his hand. And as he pulls it out of his hand and he drops it, it actually disappears. Mm. Now, I don't know how often in the books we read about something from the world of dreams manifesting in the real world and then also phasing out of reality again. Well, maybe it's part of your body. If it's your body was in the dream world and you're maybe. out of the dream world, as long as it's not attached to you or in you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't remember specifically that it doesn't happen because there's a lot of shit fuckery with the dream world <laughs> later in the books, you know, with Egwene being a like experienced dream walker and Perrin going in and out in physical form. There's all kinds of weirdness around it, but um, mm. I certainly can't remember anything specific. Um, but anyway, so he's got a wound in his hand now. Like, you know, like last time when he when he pricked his hand on the thorn, it mm. didn't have such a physical impact on him, but it, the hold of the dark one on them is, or the, his ability to influence them is becoming stronger and stronger. I think Moraine also explains that in the previous chapter, that every time he reaches out to you, mm. um, he gets better and better at it. So that's why you need to keep denying him. Um, but then as Rand's looking at his hand, Moraine enters the room to sort of um, wake them up. But they're already awake. So she's like, all right, cool. You're good. You're awake. Let's go. And they're like, what? We've hardly slept. She goes, you slept for four hours. Like, oh, shit. And then she sees that they're both freaked out. She goes, what is it, the dreams? And they both go, yeah. And Rand holds up his hand and he says, I've got this wound. She comes over and she sort of rubs her thumb over him, does a bit of healing, and the wound goes away. He feels the chill and all that stuff. Um, but she says, okay, cool. Get your stuff. we got to get out of here before the sun comes up. Yeah, she says that they have to leave because time grows short. And Rand realizes she's not talking about the time of day. She's talking about the overall battle against the shadow. Time grows mm. short. We need to get to the eye of the world. Um, and that's where the chapter ends. <laughs> so abruptly. <clears throat> Just like that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really into your story there, and then you just stopped. <laughs> Zoning out. Um, yeah. I mean, this is one of those ones where, okay, cool. They made some plans. Egwene uh, got mad at Rand again, and they had a dream with Belzoan in it again. Yeah. Uh, cool. Standard fare at this point, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing shocking. Look, for a first-time reader, these dreams must be interesting. Oh, another dream, but you know, we're on the third reread. Some of us, mm. uh, yeah, Jesus, that's enough with the dreams. I get it, you know. But look, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I remember sort of being like not that interested in that stuff as well. Like n nothing um, immediate happens. Yeah. from those dreams there's no immediate impact and i mean the first time you read about the thorn pricking him in that maze and then you know him having blood or something on his hand or still feeling the pain when he woke up that was sort of interesting you know you're like oh cool whoa weird you know something from his dream mm. is manifesting in real life weird fantasy story so magic's happening cool mm. not a big surprise um and now, like you said, on like multiple rereads, you're like, oh, okay. Especially because you also know it's not the dark one that's talking to him. It's just, you know, one of the Forsaken that's sort of playing playing at being the dark one. Can we, talking about Forsaken, can we just jump ahead to what happens down in book eight, nine, and ten? Because, of course. Yeah, I was just like, what are we doing here? Some things, <laughs> remembering <laughs> some things, and then reading some comments on like posts on Facebook and Instagram and you know, following all these accounts now. 
And yes. you, you, you know, at this point, you're like, you don't know it's well, Forsaken. You think it's the dark one if you're a first time reader. And yes. then, you know, there's all these these things about the show and who's going to be cast as Lanfear and Mogidian and Semirag and all mm-hmm. of these people. And you're like, oh, yeah, remember all these badass guys. But they are not that badass. Um, Rand and Matt and Egwene, they 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 kill these guys. I mean, in this book, <laughs> they uh, yes, they did, in like in book, book one, two, to taken out and regularly yeah. kill or capture them. At one point, Egwene has Mogidian captured and chained or you know on a leash on a on a, on a, on a leash, yeah. leash you know yeah. forcing her to teach her weaves and stuff like whoa you know so <laughs> yeah we get this impression at the beginning that they are these you know they're trying to you know influence everybody that we are this mm-hmm. threat but later on it's like yeah we'll just kill you no worries but that's that's part of their modus operandi right is to strike fear in the hearts of their yep. enemies like they make themselves these are personas that they have built up very purposefully yeah um and i mean the reputations of the type. I mean, who are the two that I keep forgetting at um, at the Eye of the World? Agenor and it's either Belthamel or Belal. Belthamel. I mean, one of them, I think, is credited with creating the Trollocs or something. Yeah. One of them invented Trollocs and Fades. You know, so these are people that experimented on, you know, casting magic on people when dying and using human sacrifices. So, like, their reputations are are earned through extreme cruelty, but not necessarily through, like, fighting prowess or, like, badassery, like, you know, (laughs) know, facing down against another channeler. Um, There's very few of the Forsaken that are really good. Morgillian's thing is also that she is, like, the master of the world of dreams, you know, for a long time, she went completely unchallenged in the world of dreams, which is a cool trick. Yeah. But, I suppose they've all got their different uh, strengths and weaknesses. Mm. Um, I remember Samael being like the military guy. He was the general, right? And he was a tough, tough guy to, to fight. Honestly, I'd, I'd forgotten that Samael existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's there too. That's one I of mean, the names. Yeah. Um, Lanfear, Lanfia uses her looks to just always seduce the dragon. Her, her superpower is hotness. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think it's actually quite a common held opinion that the introduction and the destruction of two of the Forsaken at the end of the first book sort of cheapens their mm. their um, power, know, their, their value, their power and their value. Yeah. Like, um, oh damn! I gotta resurrect these bloody bastards again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also that that only happens a bit later, where you learn about the fact that the Forsaken that get killed just gets resurrected <laughs> again, and you're like, okay, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah, maybe that's why they don't put too much effort into protecting themselves. You know, they could fight maybe. a bit harder. Like, ah, fuck it, I'll just come back later on and sort this guy out. I do like a couple of them as characters, like Lanfear. Obviously, you'd read about quite a bit. She's quite cool, um, yep. but only because she seems to also give um, the dragon some kind of leniency because she believes that he's going to come over. Mm. Um, I like Ishmael because of his arrogance and his um, his intense rivalry with Luce Theron. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love I love the fact that um, that he is so predictable in that sense. Um, but very, very few of the other Forsaken stand out to me. Semirag only shows up way later, and her whole thing is just that she likes torturing people and is especially cruel. Okay, yes. cool. But she's badass um, as well. I think Masana is in the White Tower, isn't she? Mm. Uh, you're asking the wrong person. Mm. In the comments <laughs> section below, or send us an email. <laughs> yeah, here's some Twitter and Facebook interaction fodder for you guys. We have no idea. <laughs> 
clearly. Um, okay, so yeah, dreams, got it. Let's yeah. get to the action. All right. Um, so the next chapter, Vili, is chapter 44, The Dark Along the Ways. All Ooh. right. Back on the horses. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, Even loyal. They uh, basically... Loyal. Get... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Loyal. Loyal. So all the gang is all together, uh, plus one. And uh, Master Gil has sorted them out, got them some horses. Got a horse uh, big enough for Loyal to fit onto. <laughs> he Thank was obviously keen with that. He sort of napped my feet and carry me. But mm. uh, you don't argue with Aes Sedai. Moran gave him one no. look and he's like, yep, he'll settle up. They got uh, some wicker baskets on some pack horses and uh, obviously concerned about the, the whites out front hanging around uh, waiting and watching the inn. To their surprise, uh, Master Gill has got a little latch to the back panel of the stable that opens into a different alleyway, sort of another little ace up his sleeve over there. This so guy they, has a uh, history. He's, uh, he's pretty good at smuggling people and horses in and uh, out of his inn. He's, 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 he hangs out with Tom. Come on. Yeah. In my, in my notes for this chapter, I refer to him as Trixie Basil. <laughs> Trixie Basil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trixie Basil does it again. Uh, Moraine then sort of uh, says to him, oh, look, if they do come and they burn you in down, which I probably will or might, you know, just, <laughs> just write this uh, lady there in the tower letter and we'll sort you out. He's like, nah. Ooh, she says Shiriam, right? Shiriam, yes. Who is, I don't know if you know this, Philly, she's black. Black Aja. Really? Ooh. Uh-huh. I didn't remember that. I remember the name, but I didn't remember yeah, that. Yeah, she's the mistress of novices. Shiriam oh, Sadai, yeah. 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 Uh, of the blue Aja at the time. Mm, well, she doesn't advertise that she's black. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing they keep secret. <laughs> it's in the rules. <laughs> but, Rule uh, number one: don't talk about the black Aja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Master Gil laughed. He's like, hey, I don't know. He's going to make enough coin that there's no rats in his inn at the moment. So life's good. Carry on. And uh, with that, uh, Moraine tells uh, Loyal, "It's now time <laughs> to to be our hound. Find the way gate." And he sets off and everyone leaves and follows him down the alley. A little bit of tension here. It's before the sun comes up. Streets are still quiet, but people are starting to wake. And obviously, they're an odd bunch of people together now. They don't want to be seen. Sort of a little bit of anxiety around getting around the corners. And Royal doesn't have any sort of a preference to finding a route that looks good to hide in. He just follows his nose with this one, literally. Mm. Bad little alleyways big open roads, doesn't matter. And uh, they eventually get into in front of a building and he's like, it's underneath this building. And then uh, Moraine sort of, oh, there must obviously be a, a cellar door or something. They go down a little side alley and there's Bob cellar door with a big lock on. She does a little bit of channeling there to get the lock open uh, to save a noise and uh, they go down into what's actually quite a big arched way cellar. And she channels a little ball of light for them to be able to see what's happening around and finds the waygate. Uh, and uh, everyone's sort of kind of surprised at this. Like, why would they be putting this stuff under the building? It's like, no, it's been here for a very long time. The building came and grew up on it as opposed mm. to it being the other way around. But uh, they eventually go. She finds the leaf of, en of Endosar, 
and Avendasora. That's the one. Sora. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how you say it, Billy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it opens up the way gate, and Lan goes through first and ran second. But it's a sort of the horse sort of walked in but came out running. Like all of a sudden, there's that time warp that happens. It's almost mm. like they're entering a black hole. Uh, it's a mass- spaghettification. <laughs> spaghettification sort of slingshots through, and everyone almost falls off their horses with the surprise of it. Obviously, never Moraine. But mm-hmm. they get in and they realize that what absolute blackness they are in. Like they all have a little pommel with a lantern that they sort of got ready then. And it's just this little bubble of light around them. And even the further someone would walk, you wouldn't see the other person. The light would disappear. And uh, eventually everyone's in. Moran closes the way gate. And they say, okay, cool. We're going to head off now. Um, Loyal, lead the way. And this is when they notice there's actually a white line or a white guide on the floor. And mm-hmm. they kind of now, whoa, sort of everything is pitted. It's weathered. It's dark. Yeah. It's damp. It's... It sounds pretty gruesome to be in there. It sounds just filthy. Mm. And uh, they, uh, he leads the way, and they just seemingly huddle closer and closer together the whole time. And, um, yeah, this is uh, pretty much leading from guiding to guiding. Kind of you get on a bridge and you land on a floating island is the only way that I can imagine it in mm-hmm. an eternity of darkness. And luckily, obviously, Lowell's there. He can read the old tongue. And sort of say, and follow through the next one to the next one to the next one, take a break, eat something, a little bit of conversation in between, but everyone's pretty tense. Everyone that whole time is kind of <laughs> ran, yes. finds his hand on his sword the whole time. Parents riding with an axe across his pommel. And Matt's got an arrow knocked and just ready to fire at anything. It's They, they are riding their horses through a fucking nightmare. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. Yes. And uh, eat, eating in the saddle type of thing. Like, there's mm. no time to waste here. We just got to keep on moving. That's it. Mm. And, um, and yeah, they just basically go from one to the other until uh, that cha- end of the chapter. No, oh, is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was it. Never to be seen again. They they followed the one way where Lowell from the guiding pointed them in the direction, and uh, they got onto the middle of sort of the bridge between the guidings, and the bridge was broken. They sort of left hanging oh. in the air, literally. Yeah, mm. and everyone felt even more scared. That's the first time Rand can see the thickness of the bridge, and he says it's only a span, and then there's nothing underneath it, and suddenly the bridge is standing on feels yes. paper thin. That's it. It's like the, Might as the well white be. bridge. Yeah. So let's talk about this. We talked about measurements before what a uh, horde of Trollocs is or a host. Or what was it? A fist. fist. A fist. <laughs> Too much heroes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a span. Is that a meter? Less around a meter? Like a yard? Or is it a foot? I honestly don't know. I have always imagined it to be like a meter. Yes. I don't know where I get that I from. I will go with that a meter. Is, it's certainly not the metric system. The span between your arms. <laughs> your arm, wingspan. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, it sounds valid. That's canon now. Yes, it is. Yep. Unless someone refutes it in the comments or emails us. Did you guys notice that Rand says the place seemed vaguely familiar to him? 
cast your minds back to that dream that Rand had where he poked himself on the thorn bush. But before ah. that, he was on a platform with a balustrade and Belzman is striding mm. along these um, railingless uh, ramps. Yeah. It is the ways. Yes. So it wasn't the but ways. We said at that time, it sounds like the old, like the dream version of the ways is, is lighter. Like yes. it was a mm. different version of the ways where you can actually see in the distance. Um, and that's they actually say in here when they go in in Rand, he mentions the the, the balustrade around the, the island and the bridges, and that some of the ramps don't have a railing. Um, and they describe that, and then they say it seems somewhat familiar to Rand, but he can't place it. It's from that dream. I did not remember that. All right, that makes another point sense. for Mo. Oh, another Mo's point for a dream there points. as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? Trixie Basil. Um, and the and the the ramps with no with no railing the the white lines I, I think I understand this the white line is those are only between a way gate and the first guiding mm-hmm. after that way gate yeah that's um, a way out follow that line yes. to a gate yeah it's the ways equivalent of an exit sign exactly an illuminated exit sign in a movie theater um. <laughs> Rand also at some point, or was it Land? Someone talks about what's on the other side of the um, of the waygate after they've just walked in, because it's sort of like this this doorway just standing in the middle of nothing. And Loyal says you could walk around it, but as soon as you walk around to the other side of it, you don't see anything, and you will never find your way back. <laughs> so don't do that. Yeah. So maybe don't. And it's Trippy like stuff. Um, it's. It's pretty. It's pretty sad. Like I, I also get the sense that, um, or Rand at least, he gets the sense that you know those guidings, so those big rocks with the the directions and the arrows pointing to whatever you know bridge you should be finding for your mm. you know ultimate destination. Those little islands are like a small hill, so they are slightly rounded. Um, and in one of the previous chapters, I think Loyal describes that they were like that thick lush grass growing on them yeah, and fruit trees and, and stuff so you can like yeah that's you in can my actually the next one. sleep there oh okay yeah um and Jesus now they are just complete ruin mm. yeah sorry spoilers yeah. for next chapter <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's yeah the the whole guiding system and the road signs and everything is you know for for the for the listeners as well the benefit of it having those white lines and then on every island you've got this monolith kind of a thing stone with engravings in it telling you where to go like it's a metal a metal inlaid script mm. so it's yeah. like there's an actual metallic component to it as well which actually saves their bacon later when they find the broken yes one. it does indeed um but i just love the ways i think it yeah. is such a cool thing and to quickly date our podcast again i hope they put them in the show I hope it's yeah. something that they don't decide is to. I mean, it, it solves a pretty big problem because Faldara is some ways beyond Tarvalon when they're in Camelon and planning to go there, right? So, like, Moraine opts for the ways not just because it takes them, you know, close to where they need to be, but it actually speeds them up a significant amount. I yes. Mean, they sleep one night in the ways, right? Mm. And then they come out in Faldara. Because they, don't they sleep a night in your chapter, Vili? Uh no, they they haven't slept in my day. They just stopped yeah. to to get food and keep moving. The, because Faldara, if that, you look at them, oh sorry, on that question about the the time scale of the ways, mm-hmm. it's uh, it goes a lot faster in there. Yeah, I I also tried to maths my way through it 
um, to no avail. Uh, I've sort of just resigned you do, you myself just travel to the a hand. Lot, a, lot, a lot faster in time in the real world. Mm, but something like that. I've, something. I've resigned myself to the hand wavy sort of time is weird. Yeah, cool. one Got to it. five. <laughs> just a one to five ratio. One day yes. away, five days of travel on a horse running at full pace. I tried to do that and my brain broke. So I'm just like, okay, time is weird. And I think they even say that. that like, they don't specify really. It's um, it's fantasy math. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't exist. No. Let's just call it a black hole. Gravity has taken time away. <laughs> but I love the ways. Like, it's just, a, it's such a cool concept. And yes. what has become of them is cool. And they are terrifying. Maybe it's my, you know, latent fear of the dark from when I was three years old um but rand describes i think he says like when even if there's when you bring in more light the darkness seems more oppressive like it's trying harder even to distinguish Mm. to extinguish that light Mm. um and the fact that you know mush and shin is in there somewhere and it's coming it's it's not a physical thing that you can defend against Mm. and the vastness of the ways are pitch black, so you can't see anything coming. It is just this awesome horror element that I really, really hope, like I said, is is put in the show. Okay, so then next chapter, chapter 45, what follows in the shadow? Go for it, Jody. I know exactly what follows. Machine shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. And uh- and his little buddy. <laughs> Man, when I was doing my notes for this chapter, I was reading it and writing my notes. Like as I got towards the end of the chapter, I started losing my breath and I was writing faster and faster. You can see my handwriting <laughs> deteriorating. <laughs> Amazing. I had to get, I had to leave, like stop and go get a beer and just chill out a bit. It just freaked me out. <laughs> so, Amazing. Uh, yeah. Still heavily affected after all these years. So uh, yeah, basically this is, and I'm, it does come up in podcasts from time to time, the similarities to the Lord of the Rings. So the fellowship mm-hmm. is in the minds of Moria at the moment. Uh, darkness, <laughs> bridges with no bottoms falling into chasms. Wait, one of them's broken? <laughs> this is all very familiar. <laughs> An ancient evil that uh, none of them can fight. Yes. Uh, yeah, so what, it was supposed to be a shortcut, but it could cost them their lives. Like, wow, I could go on. <laughs> So anyway, um, the stone doorway, the stone, uh, dude, I told you, <laughs> let's carry on. We're going to be here all afternoon. So anyway, fly you fools. Then uh, there's a gap in the bridge <laughs> that is too wide for them to cross. That's where we left off on the previous chapter. Yes. So they have to find another way. They have to double back. Uh, so anyway, they, they, they double back this entire time. Loyal is telling them like, listen, we could just go to Tarvalon. It's right. here, Like half a day, <laughs> two yeah. bridges away. And they're like, no, no, Moraine's, no, we're not going, we're not going. Get it, get it out of your system. So they go back, they double, double back a bit to the next, to the previous island, and choose a different route, and off they go. And they're traveling basically the whole day. If you can tell mm. what a day is there or not, time is you funny. Can't. Whatever, it's a long time. They're tired by the end. Mm-hmm. They think it. So they stop for the in quotation marks night on one of these islands. And this is where they talk about Loyal mentions how these islands used to be covered in thick grass that you could sleep on. And there were fruit trees all year round with sweet fruits and food. And it was just awesome. You know, you were saying like how the, um, this concept is just so awesome and how they're going to visualize it. Like really, I love the ways as well. I'm so bummed that they ruined 
Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. it's terrible. There must have been awesome in their day. Um, um, so yeah, at this point as well, this is another time that Perrin growls, there's nothing to hunt. And he's kind of surprised that he said it. Like previously when they were sitting <laughs> in your previous chapter as well. Yeah. It's good hunting in the blight. Like, and he's always surprised yeah. that these things are, he's saying these things like, what? Yeah. Anyway, so he's becoming more and more the wolf. And we see that later on. Like you've got to be careful during this transition. Otherwise you become a wolf and you lose your mind as yes. your human mind. And they even find yes. that guy in one of the villages that they've mm-hmm. got locked in a cage and he's gone total wolf. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is starting to happen to him. So like I said earlier, like they've just solved the problem with Matt getting worse and worse and worse. Now we've got Perrin doing the same thing. Um, and, and later it's Rand. <laughs> so, you know, nothing's ever easy. Nope. So, yeah, so they stop for the night, so to speak. They they have, they talk about that, nothing to hunt, but they do have some tea. They're allowed to have a little bit of tea. It's like so, so very British of Robert Jordan. <laughs> so very, proper. Everything's going to be all right as long as we have a cup of tea. You know, no biscuits there. <laughs> so everyone is huddling together in gloomy silence. It's really oppressive. Um, and out of nowhere, Moraine uh, pops up and she says, like, hey, I think Tom is alive. And this brings everybody's spirits back up. And she's like, yeah, because she was in Whitebridge with Lan right after they were there and Neve as well. And there was she was speaking to everybody and, and uh, not everybody remembered um, um, a Gleeman. But those that did mention him didn't mention that he died. And it's a small enough town that if a Gleeman had died, somebody would have mm. said something. Yeah. So they, she's pretty certain that he's still alive. And also, he's part of the pattern now. He, if he's been intertwined yeah. with you boys for so long, <laughs> that's it. His, his goose is cooked. He's with you now. It is a nice little, a nice little gift that Moraine gives them and that Robert Jordan gives us. You know, yes. like, oh, Tom's not dead? Okay, cool. You better not screw me on this, Robert. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they will in the TV show. Who knows? But they've cast him. Too late. So everyone's part of the pattern. No one's dead until the last book. And uh, yes, uh, so Rand also asks at this point, like, you know, this information that you've got, did you get some of this from Min's viewings? And Egwene's like, who's Min? Uh, Again, and this is like a little (laughs) ribbing. You talk to her? Who is this? Another girl? It's like, yeah, this is going to be my second wife. Uh, Haven't met my third one yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... uh, Perrin also chimes in at this point going like, no, no, Min's, Min's nobody. Don't have to worry about him, Egwene. He, it wasn't anybody like Aram. And then Rand's like, hey, what, what, who's Aram? <laughs> and there's a little bit of rib- ribbing going on and they're joking around for the night. And and that Matt is also like, oh, maybe we should tell Egwene about Elsie, about Far- Farmer Grinville's daughter. And everyone's like, all right, it's time to go to bed, everybody. We're just going <laughs> to shut up for the night. No more of this horny teenager talk. Um, and then before they're all lying down, um, Rand's struggling to sleep, obviously. It's not a place you want to close your eyes and fall asleep. <laughs> no. So he turns over and he looks and Perrin's staring at him and Matt's awake. Everybody's awake and just lying there. And then Moraine starts walking around from each of them and like gets leans in really close and whispers to them and, so, and tells them some calming words. And, and, Rand, and Rand's thinking, like, she, does she think just telling us some calming words is, is going to calm us down? But hey, wait, I do actually feel calmer and more relaxed. <laughs> Yes, so she's laying wards on them because that night they don't dream. So this is a, I think mm. this is the first time we see that she goes around and lays a ward on their dreams to protect them Yeah. Um, before they learn to do it themselves. Of course, Perrin's got his own wards. He doesn't need her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the next morning they have a little bit of tea in the morning, if you can call it a morning, and mm. you know, breakfast in the saddle. Again, like, like Vili said, there's just no dallying here. Let's, let's get a move on. Um, 
And at this point as well, Lan mentions that someone or something is following them. Like, uh, and if they wanted to catch up, if this personal thing wanted to catch them, they would have done it already because last night they actually made an effort to go back. They were almost on top of them when they stopped for the night that this person doubled back and tried to stay out of sight for as long as possible. And when he mentions this, <laughs> Matt just turns around and fires an arrow into the darkness and it uh, lands like, listen, you village idiot. Just relax, yeah. you know. You don't know who's behind us. Maybe it's someone good. He's like, who else could be in this place? But a, a bunch of dark friends are like, well, we're in this place, just for starters. <laughs> yes. So, you know, just take it easy. Stop firing arrows into the darkness. And, uh, yeah, but he's he's right. <laughs> um, I wish that arrow had found a home in you-know-who's face. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so at this point, they, they're traveling and they get to the next island. Uh, where they have to choose and this is where the shit starts to get real the guiding stone is full of scratches and there's a the the broken off the top and smashed into pieces and what's left of the rock and the stone has trollic runes engraved Mm. in it and they realize like oh shit this is how the trollocs have been able to move around to get to eman's field so quickly to get to camelin to surround the to surround the city with armies and Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of trollocs and nobody noticed, so they've learned to use the ways, but obviously they haven't figured out all of them. Otherwise, mm. they would have been inside Camelin, coming through the same gate that they left through. Yes. So they do have some, and also then a couple of meters away, because they can't see this, because darkness everywhere. Uh, mm. they, as they move along, they find uh, at least a dozen Trollocs that have died in horrific way, and like kind of melted into the stone of mm-hmm. the bridges, and the, the, the stone has bubbled, and they've got these twisted faces, and like they died in horrific ways. Matt, Matt just pukes off the back of his horse. Everybody's going to say, doesn't know. someone spew? It's that Yeah, bad. someone spews. It's, it's always, uh, isn't this the second or third time that Matt has spewed? Like, he doesn't have a very strong constitution. <laughs> <laughs> He's just constantly spewing. He's um, the Jethro of the group. <laughs> <laughs> Inside jokes. So, uh, anyway, yeah, this is horrible. Now the realization comes to them. Moraine is really calm about it. Neneve is not happy that Moraine is so calm. She's like, listen, like, horrible stuff is happening. And she goes, yeah, you know, what are we going to do? We're already in the ways. If something's going to kill us, it's going to kill us. And these Trollocs probably died because of the, the men who created this most probably set traps for, mm. for Shadow Spawn to not be able to be able to cruise around in here all willy-nilly. So, yeah, but obviously we know that that is not the case and we know how these creatures died so horribly. Um, so anyway, after they see this, they figure, listen, we better get a move on. Let us let, let us go. So the Trollocs have used how to, learned how to use these ways, but at a price because they, I don't know how many Trollocs have died trying to get through the ways. And they may have sent 10,000 and only 1,000 come out on the other side. So yeah, the last, like I said, the last signpost is shattered. Uh, Loyal finds enough information to find out where, how to get to Feldara. Um, and their movement from then on is actually slower because now Moraine is super careful and they stop at every bridge and they peer ahead and they make sure and they listen before they start moving on because now Trollocs are obviously a, a real threat that they know about now at least. Mm. Um, and this is something I thought, we were talking about uh, visualizing the 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 ways in the TV show. Like I, I'm wondering how they will do the speech of the Ogier because in this point, while Loyal is busy reading the the runes or his his language he starts speaking out loud and and it's described as a deep rumbling of of like birds singing like birds singing but in a deep 
ogier voice, which yes. I thought very musical, these giant people and this deep rumbling musical voice. I'd really like to hear that in yeah. in reality. But anyway. I don't remember I don't remember noticing that description in previous reads. Like this time that really stood out to me. Like yeah. it is it is not like spoken words at all. Yeah. Very it's alien. Very, very different. Yes. I like mm. a bit of throat so, singing, maybe. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mongolian throat singing. Oh, that's alien, <laughs> That's more Zoidberg, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Ah, now I've got Zoidberg on the brain. What happened now? That afternoon. Yes, it's afternoon now, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. Rand is very busy just, you know, plodding along, and Rand thinks that he hears wind behind him and he even starts to think oh well how nice it must be to be outside and have the breeze blowing hang on wait a minute uh loyal didn't you say that there is a like we should be afraid of wind in this place that there's this thing and uh of course loyal stops everybody stops and they listen and loyal's like it's mushinshin it's the black wind this foe is beyond you get the fuck out of here asap so everyone yeah freaking out this is like uh oh we're we're made boys and girls no time to be cautious and this is you're gonna have to bear with me because this is where my handwriting deteriorates to, <laughs> to um, the tension now is ratcheted up to four thousand, and the chase is on it's like in a modern movie i suppose this would be a car chase so they when they 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 have to start running and they're running and they can hear the wind behind them and it's like the sound of voices in it and we we get to hear some of the, what the thing, but the, what these voices are saying is so horrific that people are blocking their ears and they feel sick mm. to their stomachs about what, what these voices are saying to them. So I, I don't want to go into detail. But anyway, horrible shit. Um, and they rush and they get eventually to the way gate because they were almost there anyway, luckily. Mm. And when they get to there, the Aventasaur leaf is missing. The key to open the door is not there. So another little <laughs> stumble, another little, yeah. So they're there, but they can't open the door. But not to worry, Moraine has her flamethrower staff, uh, whatever <laughs> thing that is, and uh, you know s- s- turns it on and starts cutting through the the stone. And this, I'm going to pause now and relax the tension. Mm. Aren't these doors indestructible? Isn't that the whole point of them? I also had a sort of like arcing of my eyebrow at that whole premise because i also got the sense that these things these gates cannot be destroyed yes and she just cut them open with yeah like on the first try <laughs> with a lightsaber yes. yeah with her lightsaber staff anyway maybe it's maybe the gateway itself can't be destroyed but the portal and the stone isn't the gateway the portal can't be destroyed mm. and ah. the stone is just there to cover up the portal well, there you go. More fantasy math for you. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so it, because it, my my in my mind, it, sorry, Jody, was kind of that she cut a slither into the portal for them to to escape through. Yeah, she cut the doors, not the archway. I suppose the archway and then the shimmer, the event horizon is the kind <clears> of the event thing horizon. That that's yeah, yeah. But they're just covered with normal stone doors. Who, who know, stone doors with magical engravings that can move as if mm. the wind is blowing the leaves of a Vendasora around. Like, it's murky at best. <laughs> Don't think about it too hard, is what you're saying. Hand wavy magic stuff. Yes. There we go. Oh, there you go. All right. Problem solved. Thank you for clearing that up. 
There's a lot um, of black suit. <laughs> yes. Yes. So anyway, yeah, she's cutting through and there's black smoke coming out. I'm wondering if that's an effect of where they are, not just I think white. so. Yeah, not not it's just the taint. Mm. It's the taint. R- Rand mentions burning. that the, the 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 flame doesn't look the same as it did when um she was in Emensfield waving the staff in front of the villagers um, yeah. and that there's this sort of like acrid smoke coming off it and mm. I think it's implied that it is because of where they are. Moraine says she didn't want to channel in there at all. Yeah, yes. All right. Okay. All right. So anyway, she cuts uh, through the door, very Star Warsy, the lightsaber through the door, mm-hmm. and but the stone is still in place. So Lan takes Mandarb and charges it and turns the horse at the last minute, and the horse Mandarb you know shoulders the the sliced parts of the door out and smashes through. This this doorway always reminds me of uh, Stargate. If any of you have watched Stargate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of that, whenever I picture that shimmer over there, it's like totally yes. the, the puddle. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah. they go through, but it's kind of like a bubble. I think it, from the expression, from the, the way it's written, is like when you walk it through, bulges. It, kind of, it bulges around you until yeah. you kind of push through it. Like there's some resistance yeah. and your skin gets all chilled. But anyway, they uh, land is out on the other side first and Moraine's got the staff out, turned around and like, uh, you know, Mashin Shin is right there and it's t- tugging at their cloaks and she's got the flame into it and t- screaming at everybody, get out, get out, get out. And everybody's making a run for it and all they have to kick the horses and jump through the the the, the, the gate. Sorry, throwing pens around. I'm freaking out here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they bash they bash through the doorway out into the into the open, and Moraine stands behind to cover their retreat with her with her staff, shooting out fire. And um, on the other end, they're they're in Faldar already. They're up in the in the borderlands, and Lan is standing looking at the gateway, ready to jump back right in to save Moraine. Um, but then she comes out. And when she comes out, she's, she's exhausted. And you can see the gate that's normally gray and shimmering, turning black as, 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 as Mashin Shin presses up against it and, and it can't get out. So you see the mm. color turning and the gateway turning black. And she has to throw away her staff because it's absolutely ruined and, and corrupted entirely. She just throws it on the ground and has to wipe her hands off. Um, yeah. But yeah, out by the skin of their teeth. Um, yeah. But for the moment, they are safe and they are in Shinar. Shinar. That's where Feldara is, eh? I always get the borderlands mixed up. But they're in Shinar, and they can see Feldara in the distance. But uh, yeah, out of the ways, finally, and ready to go. And that's where we leave them in this chapter. Everyone take a deep breath. All right. <sighs> Mush and shin. Crack that beer. <laughs> yeah. Lovely stuff. Love Lovely. a bit of mush and shin. Love a bit of the ways. Um. <laughs> When uh, they fled uh, Shadow Logoth, Moraine also sort of said, I can't do anything against this. Uh, mm. It was a Mashadar there. Like, mm. this is beyond me. Fly your fools. Scatter in mm-hmm. different directions. And over here, this is like, all she focused on was just to get S out and to make it not come out. Like, mm. That was it. That makes me believe that its origin is still linked to the same thing of uh, Mashadar's origin. That it's that very old power. And I went reading into what, what's the theories behind why it's stuck in the ways. Like mm-hmm. one, one field of belief was that it was um, born of the ways. But mm-hmm. another one was that it is one of these very old evil entities or very old dark power mm. that used the ways and got stuck there and now just tries to escape the whole time and try and get out. The same as uh, Mash, uh, Mashadar 
that is trapped? trapped in uh, Shadow Logoth. Now, Shadow Logoth, the city that it was before Ar- Ar- Aradol, would have had a way gate and would have had a steading. Because it was, wasn't it also a, a grove? A not grove. necessarily a steading. Or a grove. So they would have the steading would still have been there. They would have felt that Moraine can't channel if there was a steading. Mm. But there would have been a grove, which is just a lovely garden. <laughs> a lovely garden with a nice gate. Yes. But to uh, hell. To hell. <laughs> <laughs> kind, kind of this all of this kind of reminds me of Event Horizon. <laughs> just the evilness yes. that came out of it. Look, I, I hadn't considered that there is any kind of um link between Mashadar and Mash and Shin. Um, but that is a cool theory um, that there are these evil forces that are not accounted for by the laws of the one power and the magic that um, that have been described to us. Um, it's one of those things I've mentioned in a couple of episodes now, like Mashadar, where it's it doesn't fit into the rule set that is presented to you as channeling and the magic of this world. Perrin's Wolf ability doesn't fit. Men's viewings don't fit. And in these first couple of books, they introduce a lot of these mm. sort of um, older magics and, you know, things that even the characters and the most educated characters in the story don't know or don't understand. Mm. So that, that is a cool theory that I also thought it was born of the ways because I think that's how Moraine describes it. But she doesn't know everything. Yeah. She hints at the fact that parents' wolf thing could be a thing of the dark one, you know. So she's proven to be ignorant on one count already so that i mean i like that i love it that she she's like nah i'm not even fighting uh, mashadar like i'm not even fighting it Mm. and the same with mash and shit like there's nothing it's it's been so evil for so long and it's been there for so long if it was able for any of us to destroy it it would have been destroyed kind of thing Mm -hmm. i wonder i wonder if rand after tom and gaidon goes around cleansing the world of these <laughs> fucking <laughs> terrible evils. <laughs> it's an opportunity for a sequel. Book 15, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Come on, Brando. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that guy's a prolific writer, eh? Just put it on your list of things to do, Sanderson. Yeah, God, just do it on a weekend. Yeah, um, <laughs> smash it out. I loved Perrin chiming in about Aram and shutting Egwin right up. Yeah. And then gr- grinning like Matt and like he nudges Rand, like he sort of like elbows him in the buddy. ribs and like, hey, I got you, buddy. Don't worry about <laughs> it. And he actually smiles. It's this nice moment of of levity. In this dark, hellish environment. Yeah. Hellscape. Yeah. Uh, what else did I have in here? Oh, um, someone says, oh, when they're talking about the Trollocs moving through the ways, I think Moraine or someone says there's at least one waygate in the Blight. And she glances at Lan. And it must be the waygate in Melkir. Oh, mm. Must be. So the, the, the Trollocs have found the waygate in Melkir, which has been overrun by the Blight, and mm. can use that to enter. Because none of the Ogier or um, Aes Sedai of time would have grown a waygate anywhere in the Blight or near yeah. Child Ghoul or the Blasted Lands or anything. So... Um, because the blight has taken Melkia, it's actually given them an entry into this web of um, transport into any of the countries around Randland. Mm. Damn it! And that was all Isom and his mother's fault. That we learn about that later on. Whose chapter? These chapters coming up in one of the next two chapters. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, we'll leave it for then. Yeah, but it is. It, it, 
it's a consequence that I hadn't considered um, of a consequence of losing Melchior to the blight. Mm. Um, I always just thought it's this cool story to give Lan a background and everything, but it's actually, it serves a logistical purpose in the machinations of the, of the Shadowspawn. Mm-hmm. Now that they have a way gate, they've got a way in, which is cool. Well, for us, yeah. not for, not for the gang. <laughs> not so much for everyone else living around there. No. All right. Um, a lot of action, a lot of action in that one. Yes. Love it. It's, uh, did we? Did you read any of that text, Joe? What uh, Mushinchin says in the voices that they heard? I did, but I couldn't find it again on my second reread. I was going very quickly I've though, got, just I've trying. Yeah, quick note of it. Yes, regale at Billy. Flesh so fine, so fine to tear, to gash the skin, skin the strip, to plate. So nice to plate the strips. So nice, so red the drops that, uh, the drops that fall, blood so red, so red, so sweet, sweet screams, <laughs> sweet, pretty screams, Shut up, <laughs> singing screams, screams your song, sing your screams, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks for that, Billy, I, you know, I had forgotten that, but uh. <laughs> Yeah, real charmer, Mashinshin. <laughs> Those sweet screams. Yeah. <laughs> Platting skin. It's so sweet, the red drops. I mean, that is vile. <laughs> <laughs> so should we move on from that Please God, yes. dreadful, dreadful topic? Uh, okay, I think it's me next. Uh, chapter 46 is Feldara. Yay, Destination. Love our destination chapters, Camelin. Destination Caldara. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. Um, okay, so my first note for this chapter is map. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is a map. Yay! <laughs> There's a map, but it doesn't tell you an awful lot except to sort of explain how Shinar is sort of tucked up in the, the northeastern corner of the map. Um, you, they sort of show you in relation to Feldara where Tarwin's gap is and then Melchior, like it's got a little blip on the on the map inside the blight of the Seven Towers mm. um, and then the other borderlands because um, Lord Agalmar sort of references Kandor and what are the other borderlands? Like I also <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you. You're asking the wrong guy. Seldaya, Kandor, Arafel. Ah, there you um, go. Anyway, so there's a map. doesn't tell you an awful lot, but it shows you. It's also a weird orientation. Like north is like pointing at our north, northeast. It's like, it's a weird way to orient the map. I don't know why they did it that way, but oh well. Didn't fit on the um, page otherwise. Maybe not. I think they wanted um, Tarvalon and Feldara and Tarwin's Gap and some of the borderlands and then the Blight and the Blasted Lands in there. Um. But so, okay, they've exited the gate and there's no grove. Loyal is bummed. <laughs> Sorry, Loyal is bummed. Um, there is no, there's no grove and they're sort of looking around and Rand even notices that there's even less evergreen trees than he would have thought. Um, a lot of the trees that are around are sort of gray and dead looking. Um, some of them are like split wide open. Um, and Land explains that, you know, during the, during the winter months here, um, it gets so cold that the sap inside the trees freeze and they, they burst the trees open. And some nights you can hear them like fireworks going off yeah. in the distance. 
But he says, yeah, if you want warm weather, don't worry, it'll be warm in the blight. Mm. And everyone's just like rolling their eyes, like, oh, God, thanks for reminding us. That's where we're going. Um, and on the way, they can, see, they can sort of see Feldara's towers in the distance. And while they're riding, they sort of notice that it, the farms are abandoned, like there's no one around. Um, it looks like a lot of the places have been abandoned in a hurry. Uh, Nine even a green sort of someone mentions that, you know, it couldn't be couldn't have been very long ago that they left and Perrin goes, well, how, how do you know that? And they sort of look at him like he's an idiot. And they're like, the curtains in the windows, those are not winter curtains. You know, yeah. those are, <laughs> Don't those you curtains know? are too light for the winter. A self-respecting <laughs> housewife would have those up in the winter. So it would have been reason. And Perrin's like, he starts laughing and they look at him like, he's like, oh no, no, no. Look, I mean, I, I can see that that scythe in the field is also not rusted enough, you know, for it to be, um, to have been out there very long. And mm. Rand thinks, whoa, uh, I used to have sharper eyes than Perrin when we went hunting rabbits, and I can mm. barely make out the sight, let alone tell whether it has rust on it or not. And how old that rust is. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Perrin using both his blacksmithing and wolf skills in conjunction to, to make a valid point about <laughs> how recently people had left. Um, so while they're riding, uh, Rand again tries to convince the girls and Loyal that they don't need to go into the blight. But Loyal says, you know, um, Rand's fate or their fate chooses um, chooses everyone else's. They're Tavern, so that's where they're going to go. And that he's excited to meet the Green Man, um, who you can only meet once. While they're traveling, Nynaeve sort of explains why they're going and refers to the boys as men. She corrects herself, like she says, you know, like you boys, and then corrects herself and calls them men, uh, which is also telling. And um, out of the blue, Egwene just sort of mentions that she only danced with Aram. Like, you wouldn't be mad at me for dancing <laughs> with someone that, uh, that I wouldn't uh, ever see again, right? Yeah. And that just sort of triggers a memory in, in Rand, you know, that Min said that he and Egwene are not meant for each other. So... The, the seeds have already been sown for those to to drift apart. Like they're already, Dran's already scoping out other girls and mm. uh, Egwene's already dancing with other boys and they're sort of hanging on to this idea that the two of them are somehow meant to be together. Um, but they're both slowly but surely sort of drifting away from that. And then they finally reach um, Feldara and it's an obvious fort city. Uh, despite it being a lot smaller than Camelin, the walls are just as high. And I mean, I think we remember like Camelin was like 50 feet tall walls around it, but not built for, you know, beauty or anything like that, pure, pure function. Yeah. And it has a mile of land around those walls cleared. So nothing can approach Feldara without the people in the watchtowers being able to see it. Land tells them to take off their hoods and because uh, no one no one's allowed to do that in the borderlands and Matt cracks a joke about like why? Because everyone's so good looking they need to like show it off. And Land goes, No, because half men can't hide their faces if they don't have a hood up. That's a genuine common problem up here in the north. <laughs> yes. We have half men trying to pass as citizens, so you know, like <laughs> no hoods, basis. everybody. It shuts Matt right up. And as they um they sort of come to the gates where there's a bunch of guards and the guards all have, all of them have a sword on their back and either a mace or an axe or another broadsword at their waist. Like they are armed to the teeth. There's like a whole bunch of them at the gate. It's not like one guy. The horses are right there with lances prepared. The horses have spiked armor on, like yep. they could jump on those horses at any second and fuck shit up. <laughs> um, so 
you know, the, the, the guys are getting a, a real sense of like the, the area that they are entering into. Which, sorry, which is this the, is Sheena the one where they have the two swords on their backs? Or is that Saldea? Because there's one in the, in the Borderlands where, where, yeah, everybody, where, where they have the, two the swords? Have two broadswords on their backs. Can't remember. Um, I, I don't remember reading anything about two. It could be. Um, wasn't the the one guy in a new spring, the guy with the, the thin braids, it was Kandori or something, and he had two swords on his back? Oh, maybe it's the Kandorians. Anyway, <laughs> continue. <laughs> Sorry we'll, to interrupt. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out soon enough. No, I um, suppose we will. Or sooner or later. And if we don't, we'll go back and read New Spring just to make sure that we cover that, that ground. And as they're sort of moving into the city and even from the first guards at the gate, um, people are just letting Lan and Moraine in. Uh, and it's noteworthy to Rand. Um, and people are calling out things like, um, you know, all hell, you know, Daishan, welcome back. Mm. You know, is the, are, you, are you raising the golden crane? And he's just sort of playing it down and just, you know, saying, you know, Peace, Peace Reagan is one guy mm. comes up and talks to them about it and everyone's sort of taken aback by how easily they can just waltz into the city. But, you know, understanding that, you know, land is obviously well known here. Mm. And uh, Loyal also gets a, a bunch of greetings, you know, like uh, a lot of people sort of paying homage to the builders. Uh, what did they say? Oh, glory to the builders. But they, they they make a big deal about seeing an Ogier and it, it's such a pleasant surprise for for Loyal, who's, you know, just come from Cameron where he was chased down the street being called a Trolloc. I think they these guys know what a Trolloc looks like. <laughs> and Ogier, <laughs> yes. Loyal is they're not, not mistaking, one of those. Yeah. No, they're not mistaking this giant bookworm for a Trolloc. <laughs> and everyone notices that the city is packed to the rafters. So obviously all these people that have been coming off the farms have um, evacuated the farms and have moved into, into the fort or into the city. Um, and you start to get the sense of like, okay, they are kind of, you know, on high alert here. They are they've taken steps to um, protect the the people from the, the surrounding lands. Um, and so the more shouts of Daishan and Golden Crane as they get closer to the, the center of the, of the city, which has a fort inside with a dry moat full of spikes around it. And, you know, they don't have to say anything. They just sort of ride up to it and they lower the drawbridge across the moat and they open the portcullis. And as they come in across it, they come into this courtyard that's full of soldiers and like blacksmiths are busy, you know, fixing weapons and armor and fletchers are making arrows and, Okay, so they've pulled all the people from the countryside into the city and they're preparing for some kind of battle. And that's when um, a soldier comes up to them, uh, who we later find out is Inktar, uh, mm. a short, sort of stocky, dark-skinned guy with a topknot. So, like, all these these warriors have shaven heads except for topknot. And he says that word word has already reached Lord Agalmar that, um, that they're there and he's waiting for them in his study. Um, and they start following Inktar uh, through the fort to to Lord Agalmar's study. And Lan asks him, or first Inktar asks him, are you going to raise the banner of the Golden Crane? And he's like, no, 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 you know, just plays it down. And he goes, are things really as bad as they look? Uh, and Inktar sort of plays that down and says, ah, oh, you know, we've driven them back at Tarwin's Gap before. We'll do it again. But he sort of has a moment of, of looking somewhat concerned. Um, but again, just plays it down. And eventually they they get to um, Lord Agamemnon's study, and it is this really uh, austere room, right? Like no 
lavish furnishings or anything. It's got arrow slits, like it's a room that he can defend. And he's got his full set of armor ready to basically step into. Uh, he's got a rack of weapons on the wall, one of which is a broadsword taller than a man. You know, <laughs> so it's like he's got he's got some uh, some firepower with him. Um, just speaking again to the warrior nature of obviously these borderlanders and um, he himself, Lord Algamar, also has a top knot, but it's all white. Like he's, mm. he's an older gentleman with a couple of lines on his face, but um, obviously very, very glad to see um, Lan and Moraine um, and immediately asks if they'll be joining them at Tarwan's Gap. And when they say no, he's surprised. Um, and so he, he explains that, look, you know, there is a force amassing at Tarwan's Gap um, that he has asked the other borderlands to help repel. Um, but despite none of the other borderlands reporting a congregation of Trollocs or Fades or any shadow spawn on their own borders, they are reluctant to send anyone. So Shinar will be taking on the responsibility of driving back the, the shadow spawn at Tarwin's Gap themselves. And he says that because of that, they will be outnumbered 10 to 1 at least. Mm. <laughs> Does not bode well. Yeah, I think at this point as well, like uh, Engelmar's, co- he's, he's trying to convince them you know, a few times. He's constantly he's, like, trying to convince come them. Come and help us out, don't. Yeah, you guys, please. <laughs> On that, why why is there no ice die if this battle against the dark is so important? Sort of send a crow, mm. send an ice die. All right, we're going to come and help. We'll go do a little bit of few weaves there with you guys and just. Yeah, where are my greens at? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Battle Aja, pull in. Um, but I think, it, it, who knows, maybe they've sent word to the tower and the tower with their dwindled numbers maybe can't, you know, risk anything. Shinar has always held Tarwin's Gap. It hasn't fallen before. You know, what's so different about this one? The Black Archer's um, got control. Hey, maybe, you know, like, I mean... Look, it, it, it might not carry a lot of weight here, but you do find out in the next book that Ingtar is a dark friend. Mm. Um, keep that in mind when you mm. have any when you when you read anything about him. Um, I think he is one of. I think there's only two two characters in the entire series who come back from the dark and convert back to the light, and Ingtar is one of them. Mm. Um, but anyway, so. As Lord, as Lord Algomar is trying to convince Lan and Moraine to join them at Tarwin's Gap, um, they're sort of sitting and drinking a goblet of wine, and Rand notices that wine's splashing over Lan's hand, and he's crushed a silver goblet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't have superpowers, but he's crushed a silver goblet. Uh, the wine is sloshed out over his hand. A servant has come and replaced it, and it doesn't seem like Lan has noticed. Yeah, nobody is, else is yeah. batting an eyelid either. <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> oh, Lan's crushed another goblet. Typical Lan. <laughs> oh, he's a true king. Yeah. And then um, Moraine sort of, you know, she explains that they need to go into the blinds and they need to go find the eye of the world. Uh, and Agamar is just perplexed by by their mission and the, the strange company that she's keeping. Who are these village idiots that she is mm-hmm. taking to the eye of the world when they have this massive battle they need to fight? They know that there's a threat there. They know there's danger. Come help us. Don't do this stupid, silly thing. Um, but in that conversation, um, Moraine makes it clear that 
these boys need to be there and Rand has a recollection of some other conversation or maybe even earlier in this conversation about the battle at the eye of the world will require the one power of some kind. And it isn't said explicitly, but I, my read on that is that Land, uh, Rand is sort of clicking like, okay, if the three boys need to be there and this is going to be a battle of the one power, is the implication there then that one of us can channel? Because, I mean, Rand doesn't know yeah. he can channel. He doesn't know that he blew up the, what is it? The, the, the inn. Samuel the Hakes inn. inn. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's sort of like starting to, you know, process the stuff and putting two and two together and starting to come up with an idea of why they might need to be there. But doesn't Anglemar as well also mention that? He's like, really? And he looks at the boys, like he steps back. He gets all defensive, like, because he... In the next chapter. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) He grasps for his sword that isn't there. Um, But then um, Moran also mentions that she has actually um, met the green man, but she's relying on the the need to to see him overcoming that sort of rule that I'm sure, or I assume the green man has imposed himself, that he only meets with people once. Yeah. So, I mean, then there can be no greater need than the one that they have, right? So eventually, Agalmar sort of lets it go and he starts a more pleasant conversation. They smoke some two rivers to back, like a, like a, Agalmar is a good host and he's sort of like, you know, easing the tension and he coaxes some conversation out of them. And, you know, it comes out that they're from the two rivers and he sends off a servant and they bring the two rivers to back. But I find it funny, like, they don't offer any to the boys. No. Like the two rivers to back is only for Lan, Agalmar, and Loyal. So they're sitting there and having a chat still. And then while while they're chatting, they talk about the groves and Lan uh, also quotes some poetry. And um, Agamar also confirms like, yes, that, that poem also always had that meaning for me. And it was this cool sort of like warrior poet moment where Lan has been described as this, you know, absolute, you know, killing machine who just crushed a silver goblet and now he's quoting poetry about rose petals floating on the water and sort of thing which was a cool sort of mushashi style warrior poet moment also just drawing more similarities with you know the samurai and that that whole culture yeah he's he's multi-layered yes uh, like an onion I wonder if shrek got that i mean they say he's like an onion i wonder if shrek poached that line yeah. <laughs> um, and Rand is just really surprised by that but while they're busy talking and making small talk um, Inktar comes in and he says look um, Lord Agamar you said that you needed us to let you know about anything odd um, we had this Lugarder by the sound of his accent trying to come into the city before but when he was turned away um, they found him later that that evening trying to actually scale the walls of Feldara I mean what the yeah. fuck is he thinking do you want to see him and Agamar goes look Sorry about this, everyone, but this is kind of important. Yes, do do bring him here immediately. And so Inktar goes away, um, and Agamar says, look, you guys don't have to be here for this. But they say, look, you know, don't worry, we'll stay here. This is a weird occurrence. You know, we'll, we'll stick around. So when he's, when this person is pulled into the room, it's obvious that they are just, I mean, grotesquely filthy, dirty, like a vile human being. Um, and Matt is the first one that recognize him, recognizes him as Peyton Fanny and goes, oh my God, it's the peddler. Mm. And at that moment, Rand also goes, that's the beggar. 
from Camelin that was and chasing all him. The pieces of the puzzle fall down into place, which you know was <laughs> incredibly obvious to us, but not to them, obviously. Yeah, and um, Fane is just he's like he's blubbering all over the place. He's sort of he's crying and he's he's like vacillating wildly between being like incredibly deferring to complete and utter arrogance, you know, like it's almost, I also got the sense that his, his accent and his way of talking also changes more than once. And he also mentions at one point that he will not be compelled never again. Mm. And when you read the story the first time, you just read the word compelled like you do any other English word, right? Wow. Or it's literal was it with meaning. a capital C? I didn't remember. It wasn't. It wasn't. Oh. But I mean, Moran in the next chapter sort of expounds how, you know, things were done to him and how his mind was fucked with. And I, I'm pretty sure he was under the actual compulsion weave, if not multiple times, at least once. And so he starts, Penfan starts appealing to Lord Agamemnon's ego and he's going like, Great high lord, you know, I can I can tell you how to defeat the shadow and you know with my help you can cleanse the world of the shadow forever because I hate it and blah blah blah. And Agelmar just eventually goes, sure thinks a lot of himself, this peddler, doesn't he? Mm. <laughs> like, what is this peddler gonna do to defeat the entire shadow? Um But um while he's sort of talking about it, he uh he notices more rain starting to move towards him, and then he has this like visible reaction like he doesn't want Moraine to get anywhere near him and as she walks around the table to get close to him she actually walks up to Matt and she stops behind Matt and she whispers in Matt's ear something and Matt lets go of the dagger like Matt had been holding it and he lets go so we'll almost finish with this chapter we'll get back to this but I want to touch on that like has he affected (laughs) by more death or not you can't keep it in I can't keep it Um, in any longer well it basically is just like um she just says her exact words are I'm afraid he's more than a peddler Lord Agomar less than human worse than vile and more dangerous than you can than you can imagine so a couple of hints there at maybe um, you know there being some kind of more death influence already at this stage Um, and we just end with her basically insinuating that she needs to interrogate him right now we can wash him afterwards because she mentioned earlier get have someone wash him and I'll interrogate him but then when she sort of catches a glimpse of what's going on. And she's like, no, I need to talk to him right now. We can wash him afterwards. So do you guys think, I mean, this little bit of the chapter sort of does make it seem like yes. there's there's some more death going on here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what I mentioned chapters ago. Like, didn't you he did, already, you did. Didn't he already fuse with more death in book one? Yes. And this, for me, you know, justifies it, that this is a confirmation. Uh, I was dismissive of that theory last time, but mm. this makes it pretty clear to me. He was, that that is exactly uh, we're going to get to it in the next chapter now, and during the interrogation, yes. some of this comes out, but he was uh, tied up by four fates and driven in as the hound to found the boys into Shadow Logoth mm. at that stage. And he escaped them during the carnage of Mashadar. Yes. And I've, well, I hold the belief that the only way for him to get out was actually Mordeth luring him in to help him to get out of um, that city, Shadow Logoth. Uh, and from then already, he's had that taint uh, on him and he's been carrying. So that's uh, something that's been sort of written about in some of the other stuff that I was reading at that time that I was mm. reading on that chapter. Uh, but definitely. 
to to me that that description and i mean we are jumping ahead to the next chapter where moraine sort of recounts the stuff that she did get mm. out of him and we'll, we'll delve into that when we get there but since it's you know pertinent to this topic when she explains that he was in shadow logoth and how he escaped when mashadar killed the trollic that was holding his leash basically and he got out of there that actually went for me the other way you know in explaining that he somehow got into contact with Mordeth. and it must have happened between that moment when the trollic mm. was killed holding him and him trying to get out of the city, like you said, Vili, maybe more death appears to him and he sees someone desperate to get out. And this is a person that could, mm. you know, this is my ticket out of here. This guy yeah. just wants to get out. Let me give him something or go accompany him or, you know. Yeah, he has a dagger. Follow me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to have to protect yourself. Take this, uh, take this dagger. Also, this terrible, terrible taint. Yes. Um, but... <laughs> But yes, I mean, this conversation certainly makes it seem... I mean, Moraine saying that he is more dangerous than you can imagine. Mm. That also explains the, the, the dual personalities. Like when he's groveling, yes. he's Hayden, and when yes. he's arrogant, he's, he's Mordeth. Mm. Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> or looking for the precious. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. No, someone else has to say it. I'm not going to be the only one every time. Do they say earlier in the book or when you meet him that he is from Lugard? No idea. Or is this the first mention of his like Lugarder accent? Well, he is a traveler. He is, you know, he's not from the two. I'm rivers. just trying to. Could be I'm trying to piece together, like you know, where these additional personalities are coming. from. He's displaying signs of multiple personalities, right? Like he's changing his voice and his tone and his his demeanor and stuff, almost like within seconds of each other. Well, so he's been absolutely tortured as well by various mm. people and entities up until this point. Imagine the the compulsion that is so great in you that you do not care to stop to eat. You eat on the run after your your quarry. He probably literally runs and shits himself as he's doing all of this. And that's why he's as vile and filthy as he is. Yes. Mm. Okay, well, so look, if there's nothing that we want to sort of delve into in this chapter, then let's get into the next chapter where Moraine yeah. actually comes back and she explains exactly what she, what she drew out of him. Yeah. Okay. So chapter 47 is more tales of the wheel. Uh, Vili, why don't you enlighten us about good old Mr. Fane? Oh, more tales of Mr. Dirty Fane. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, Moraine has taken him away. Uh, she's doing the interrogation. Rand is pacing up and down, sort of getting irritated by the fact that he knows the table is exactly 12 paces long. Yeah. And eventually stopped counting the paces and just counted the many times he paced up and down the side of the table. And uh, eventually Moraine sort of reappears out of there. Um, well, before we get there, Nynaeve and Egwene is talking to uh, Lord Algmar and he seems to be a gracious host and mm -hmm. he <laughs> um, gets them to have a little laugh now and then. But uh, eventually the question comes up asking uh, about is, is Lan a king or why do they call him these names and, and the, 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 the banner of the golden crane, was it? Yep. Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, well, okay. He drops the whole story of Lan being the Lord of the Seven Towers and goes into quite a bit of detail of the history, which is um, a bit of a sad one. Basically, uh, Lan's mom and dad, his dad was a king. 
his brother Lane. Um, he is Lane's wife. They had the son Isam. So we spoke earlier about Isam, that is mm. now the Slayer, uh, potentially. Uh, they weren't too stoked that um, their son was the next in line. Well, actually, that uh, her husband, which was Lane, wasn't the the crown king or or in line for the throne, and that obviously Lane was now going to come into the picture and be the next in line. And while uh, the king Al Aker was out mm-hmm. in the borderlands fighting, they plotted with uh, Cohen. And there was a bit of a coup d'etat uh, that didn't work out well for them. Uh, but that was also the result of Malkia falling, or the um, the Seven Towers falling, that their forces was just too weak and down, as far as I understand it, to hold. Yeah, so what happened was, there's actually like another story. Like, Lane's wife dared him to go into the blight and go strike at Shailgul or do some like heroic mission and he did now the king and lane so lan's dad alakir and lane his brother were super super close and even more so when alakir became king and they were beloved by the people and they were both legendary heroes but what's her name brianne brianne Brian, some whatever queen bitch she <laughs> lady Macbeth. she she was jealous that it wasn't lane that became king mm. um at this stage isom is still an infant tiny baby um, and she dares Lane to go into the Blight and, on this heroic mission. And then he and a bunch of the Lancers die. And then she blames the king, El Akir, for not going himself, saying the mission would have been a success if he had gone. Why did you let your brother go and die? And then she starts plotting with another high lord in, so what is his name? Cowan. Yes, Cowan. Something like that. He only... He almost became king, Cowan. He only lost the vote to become king by two votes. So he was very close to becoming king. So he was open to plotting against Al-Akir. And so was Lane's um, widow, because she wanted Isom to be the king. And what they did was they drew the forces out of the border forts towards the Seven Towers in order to do a coup. Mm. And because they pulled those forces out of the border forts they were overrun by trollocs and that's why the trollocs overran Malkia because of this internal conflict and um eventually queen bitch and her son isom were run down by trollocs and no one knows what happens to them and that's how isom ended up in the town that's how he was raised in the blight by dark friends and became slayer in conjunction with luke there we go Cowan was killed by Jane Fastrider. Cowan was caught by Jane Fastrider, but instead of executing him, the king, Al-Akir, challenged him to one-on-one combat and killed him that way. Like, this is how deep the honor runs. Like, the king himself fights this traitor, who's also a war hero, and then manages to kill him and then cries about it. Some people say he wept for the loss of a friend, and other people say they wept for for Malkia. And that's when they sort of, you know, they... Oh, you'll get to this now, the story of Lamb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously at this whole explanation of who he is, jaws were dropping. <laughs> I think you can say the least. Naive looking, decidedly awkward. Yeah, like, oh dear. 
what happened yeah who is this man i love who is this man i want to be with i am not worthy of him he will never choose me blah 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 oh, feeling right. inadequate there we go 30 years of romantic comedies yeah i read between the lines yeah yeah <laughs> rand obviously eavesdropping and listening to this whole story is like oh my goodness all right there we go <laughs> got that and that's when uh um moraine comes back and sort of she's dealt with shit <laughs> literally <laughs> yes, has to wash her hands. Have to wash my hands. Sorry, Lord Agma, that I have uh, sent your servants to get my bed. It's like hey, my servants, your servants. Carry on, wash your hands. But please, I do insist. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, she starts laying down just uh, how the interrogation went with Fade uh, and Fine. And man, what a deep run story on how long he has been on the run. And now we can get back onto the Fine thing. Yes. Where three years or three summers ago already, he was already a hound for the Dark One, looking for the boys. I don't know to, to how deep that extent that has sort of reached and what the purpose was for it. But they then start to remember that the one year he stayed behind a whole week longer than he normally did. Um, and he arrived late. And he arrived late as well. And that's the year that he was sort of interrogated he was at Shia Ghul. yeah they captured him ran him to Shia Ghul, and to torture him or to strike fear into him would make him sleep in a Trollocs kettle at night yeah, of what they'll do to him when they get there like absolutely breaking him down I wonder if we'll see some of that scenes in the show <laughs> that is the fate that took control of Fane between Taron Ferry and Berlon made him sleep in the kettle. I was that uh, that was then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, recent kettle sleeping. Some mm-hmm. recent kettle sleeping, and then uh, he he got away from them at Taron Ferry, but they caught him again. Yes, a, a different fade. Mm. <laughs> that like. was a uh, Murundi, I think, at Murundi or something. That he was. That's the original one. So the, the, a fade came to him because Fane had been a dark friend for, I think they said 40 years or something. Yeah. Like he's been a dark friend for a long time, which just reinforces, Vili, your, um, your perception of him in the first chapters that he arrives, of him being old. Um, but yeah, he's been a dark friend for a long time. A fade comes for him in Mirandi originally to summon him to Shal Ghul. And that's when they go. Ah, he thought that he he was going to also get the riches that sort of the honor. He thought this was a great honor. And instead, they fucking mind raped him Mm. and then sent him on his way to search out for the boys. And as he, or for the Dragon Reborn, um, and as he um, spent more and more time in the two rivers, he got summoned back. Like every year, he would go back to Shalgul and they would distill his mind. It says, and then he would come back with an even keener sense of what it was that he was looking for, mm. to the point where it actually surprised the Shadowborn. Like he was actually better at finding them than they thought he would be, um, and that's why. Uh, he yeah, they didn't believe him that he told them no, that they're not there in this direction. When they are escaping after winter night, when they go to Taran Ferry and they cross the river Taran, um, at one point Moraine sends a smell you know yes. their scent Cost. towards the mountains and that's when Fane says don't believe that it's it's this way 
Mm. And the fades go, no, 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 you're a fucking idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And they follow, and then eventually they realize it. And I think they cut him loose, or he gets away, or something. And then another, another um, fade finds him. Mm. Now makes him sleep in a kettle. Makes <laughs> him a little kettle. Now I was wondering now on this uh, because this compulsion that he has now, that can they they even speak of it that while she's interrogating him, he looks up towards the room where they are. Mm. Is the part of that not also the dagger that's drawing him and the part that mm. is... Um, Probably. My, uh, what is his name now? Mordeth. That's mm-hmm. the point. So now he's got both of these forces in him, the compulsion to get the boys, as well as Mordeth to get the dagger. <laughs> There's that double, doubling layer of mm. crazy hunting going on. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, his dark friendness would draw him to the dagger. The fact that he is somewhat possessed by more death but also drawn to the dagger and the dark one has honed his mind in a way to seek out now why voice. didn't they just slit his throat just right there and then just just do us all this favor and just don't even wash him just slit his throat yeah should have hey hindsight or maybe when he ran up the wall they just loosed an arrow and shot him in the head and then to put <laughs> he's, he's so wretched i've been telling you guys this fuckhead should have died long ago, since chapter one. Yeah. <laughs> but here he is. Here he is, still climbing walls. <laughs> yeah. Still shitting himself. Still shitting himself. And uh, yeah, well, uh, the, with all this news, like, Moraine wants to move on. Like, this is a lot. He needs to be stay alive. Keep him in jail. I need to interrogate him more. But time is pressing. The, the wheel doesn't stand still. We have mm-hmm. to move on. And he, he offers 100 lances or 10 of his best men to go with because surely these farm boys aren't going to serve your purpose while you're out there. And she repeatedly, like, no, they're Tavir and they're part of the pattern. I want no men. I don't want to be seen. We want to be able to move quickly. It's thank you, but no. And basically to the point where he accepts and sort of looks at the boys almost scornfully and kind of like, yeah, this is a bad decision, but he gets mm-hmm. he gets at least a party of them to sort of write them off to the boundary or the border gate or something, where uh, and that was Lamb. What was his name? Inktar. Inktar. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's often you're stretching beyond this chapter because you've uh, just finished the book. Oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Morris, have you finished reading the book? I have not. No, right. I've only read the chapters we're covering now. Oh, Vili and I are way ahead of you. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> no, could I? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's basically it, that they have to go and they've got to go and fight the eye of the world. And mm-hmm. that's that chapter. A lot of uh, lands history and a lot of Fane's pain. Yeah. Good. Fuck that guy. We didn't really touch on, on land, but um, the fact that he, uh, as a baby was sent with 20 of the best fighters from Melchior. Like as Melchior was falling, they sent him as an infant. They they um, anointed him as the king, mm. the next king. Mm. Um, they gave him their family, their family sword, which was made by Aes Sedai during the War of Power. So yes, yes again, we were right. His sword is power yeah. wrought. Mm. Yeah. Um, and only five of those 20 fighters actually made it. Yeah. All of them injured, but the baby untouched. And those same five fighters taught him how to fight mm. which is cool that is that is great like he was raised he was born with a sword in his hands literally like born yes. put in a crib he has a sword <laughs> take these 20 yeah. warriors and off you go yeah 
that's very cool. Yeah. Um, Vili, the point that you read up to in the books, I don't has has Lan raised the banner of the golden crane? Yes, no. he has. When he oh, has, not in mm. book one. Where, no, no, where I've read up to. Oh, okay, okay, mm. yeah. But isn't that in the last book? No, it was book. I want to say almost towards the end of book eleven. I want to think. Okay, maybe. Well, if you know about it, then yeah, it must mm. be. Um, but that's quite cool, isn't? Like it's, isn't it naive that sort of she travels ahead of them along the borderlands? Yeah, spreading mm. the word that he's yes. coming, and he's following her because he's bonded to her at that stage, mm. and he's trying to reach her, and she's sort of just staying ahead of him, telling everyone, "Yeah, yeah he's, he's coming. Be on the lookout. He's coming. He's yeah, coming. Yeah. He's raising the banner." Mm. Um, and then he does. Oh man, I'm then, I'm now again so eager just to start reading and just reading ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so much good shit. Oh yeah. At one point, when when Agilmar is telling the story of Lan, um, and Nynaeve is looking particularly dejected, um, Egwene touches her arm mm. and sort of comforts Nynaeve. Has Nynaeve admitted to a herself and b Egwene? That she has some sort of interest, of course, in land. Yeah, the girls have these little private moments all the time. The mm. women, sorry. There's a lot and of whispering. I, yeah, they may have said something, or Egwene's not an idiot. Uh, she knows. Yeah, she true. Tell. She probably just picked up on it. Yeah. There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's fucking clear as daylight that Nynaeve is reacting to the story of land. But either I was just a complete idiot. I hadn't watched enough romantic comedies or anything, but I don't remember being it um, that obvious that Lan and Nynaeve had some kind of thing between them in book one already. Yeah. No, I don't remember that at all either. This is the first time. This is the third time I'm reading these books. And I mean, and it's it's so blatant. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally in your we face. Are, oh man, we are idiots. Okay, <laughs> Men are idiots. That is the theme in the books. Yeah. What, yes. what you're reading and you're just like flicking your eyes to, like, okay, cool, yep, yep, wop, 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 dream, dream, land, dream, land, yep, yep, yep. Ah, battle. Intently yes. reading. Yes, oh, you said that last time. Woman, 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 wop, wop, wop. Lovey-dovey. Rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> I love a romantic comedy. <laughs> um, We're well aware. <laughs> my first note from, uh, from this chapter is, Lord Agelmar is a good host. He's incredible. He makes Nynaeve, quote-unquote, roar with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does that. No, he's a special kind of man. He is. Very charming, obviously. I mean, can you imagine Nynaeve, this fucking walking thundercloud personified, <laughs> yeah. just laughing uproariously? No, I no, can't imagine it. No. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. <laughs> Does not compute. No. So anything else from this one? I mean, this is all set up, right? Like this the last couple of chapters, it's just all exposition. It's all just like info. It's info, yeah. makes the story settle. Um I just still still wish an archer would have just loosed that arrow, or even maybe Matt. That arrow he <laughs> shot tried. in the ways. He should yeah. have just landed that. But obviously the arrow was traveling at a different speed and the, the Who's physics. the village idiot now, Lan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matt had it right. All right, so do you guys have a favorite moment? Did you remember to... I read your message, so yes, I did make note of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so why don't you go first, Joe? <laughs> this is the first time I've actually got a favorite moment. My favorite moment is uh, in my chapter, 
my first one, where they are in the library making the plans and all of this, this information starts bubbling up and Moraine clicks that eye of the world scenario, you know, like they get that, those three messages when finally it's after the entire point. book, yeah, that entire book, like the message that got Sightblinder's eye from the Aiel, the Tinker's message and the message in, in Stelling Shanghai all coming together and mm-hmm. making a, making plan, plan B, uh, eye of the world. And yes. the boy saying that Belzamon's talking about the eye of the world mm, in their exactly. dreams. Exactly. Like Moraine's all of the like, stuff okay. has come out. Everything is out in the open now. New plan. And finally, we get to actually hear somebody talking about the eye of the world, <laughs> which is the name of this book. It's been kind exactly. of like an afterthought the entire time. And now it's like, oh, totally. this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Yeah. That's very me. cool. Yeah. Love it. Love it. It is a turning point. It's sort of like, okay, they're shifting into fifth gear now. Yeah. This is the home stretch of the story, right? Like there's, there's only... At that point, that is, there's only twelve chapters left, and they are still in Camelin. Right? Yeah, <laughs> still in the middle of Randland. Like only nothing, twelve chapters yeah. in the first book. Yeah, go do something. Okay. Yeah, the pace really picks up from here. How about you, Will? Who we? I would definitely say uh, the land's whole background story as the king of oh, Malkia. Cool. Yes. Just laying that in, like what a deep person this really is, and. As part of that and binding into that is when he walks in, everyone's calling him. What's a Daishine? Daishine. Yes. Are you going to raise the banner? Are you? Are we going to be? Everyone's just amped for the battle now. Like there was maybe a bit yeah. of dread for going and preparing to go to Town's Gap to fight there, and now they're yeah. kind of like, oh man, we got land and an Aes Sedai. Amped. Yes. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so mine is all about the ways. Anything, the anything whole, about the ways. Anything about the ways. I'm so into how fucking spooky and terrifying the ways are. I mean, I think this is still a holdover from my first read. The mm. the the impact that Mush and Shin has had on me. I've brought it up when we recorded our, you know, proof of concept episode for this podcast and we were talking and one of the girls ran past in the hallway screaming because it was in the middle of the day. I made a mush and shin joke back then because <laughs> I've always, I've always um, held this sort of opinion of the ways in mush and shin as being utterly terrifying. Like it's bone chilling. Um, and just reading it again now, just reaffirmed that. So those fears are now, Nice and fresh. Yeah, yes. And all those <laughs> lovely screams and that uh, Vili quoted for us. Mm, platted flesh. Those sweet yes. screams. Yeah, stop it. <laughs> all, right. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so our next episode is going to cover the rest of the Eye of the World. So sweet. it is chapters 48 through 53. The first one is The Blight. And I mean, what a meaty section to just finish off with, right? Like straight into The Blight, through the eye of the world, and then the final chapter is The Wheel Turns. Jody, you seem exhausted already. (laughs) That's just exhausting. All this... uh, But you've just read it. Yeah, uh, I'll read it again. I'm going to have to anyway for for recording purposes. But yeah, uh, with pleasure. I'll read it three times again. But yeah, no, definitely. This has been a nice stretch and we're coming in. I mean, one more episode and... Yeah, this shit goes down. Yes, it sure does. All right, so then I'll take one last opportunity to remind our listeners to look us up on Twitter at Blood and Ash Pod. 
uh, or on Facebook, Blood and Ashes Podcast, or just go to our website, bloodandashespodcast.com, and reach out to us. Um, correct all these purposefully inserted inaccuracies uh, so that we have things to talk about directly to you. Um, I don't think anyone's going to buy that. We're just fucking idiots. No. <laughs> But uh, on that note, uh, I will bid you both a fond adieu and see you next time. All right. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Have a good one.